food security, schools, hospitals, homes, cultural sites, and businesses. All were affected by the devastating August 4th blast at Beirut's port that claimed so many lives and left many thousands injured and displaced. Nearly half the city was damaged, and the repair bill could be as high as $20 billion. You're listening to the Business Extra podcast coming from The National in Abu Dhabi. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, Assistant Editor-in-Chief. With me down the line is Kelsey Warner, future editor and co-host of the Business Extra. How are you, Kelsey? Hi, Mustafa. I'm well. It's good to be with you. Welcome back. Thank you. As I was saying at the top of the show, um, there's been an immense response to uh, the devastation in in Beirut, um, particularly from groups within the country as well as international organizations. There's been uh, the creation of sort of online information portals to publish uh, information assessment reports. Um, there is an effort to begin the resurrection of the housing, health care, food and education sectors. The UN is heavily involved. But frankly, the scale of the job is immense. Um, with us to talk about that is uh, Fadi Adra, a partner with Strategy and the consultants who actually put together an impact assessment report following the Beirut blast. Um, Fadi, how are you? I'm good, uh, given the circumstances. Thank you, Mustafa. Well, thanks for joining us. And th- this report that your consultancy has done is is very is very interesting. It's some forty slides talking about every area of Beirut that's been impacted, not just physically in terms of um, the damage uh, to infrastructure, but even uh, there's a survey component to it, which talks to to people about their psychological effects, the effects on businesses. Um, so can you, maybe we take a step back and, and you could tell me a little bit, Fadi, about uh, how and why Strategy And has done this uh, impact assessment. As you said, uh, immediately after the explosion, I mean, there, there was an immense urge to do something. And uh, that was, you know, felt both at the institutional level, at Strategy And, but also at the individual level. So the, Many of the colleagues started supporting on-the-ground efforts, you know, right after the explosion. Uh, you know, the next day in the morning, they were on the ground uh, cleaning up debris and so on. So as a firm, we also, you know, directly wanted to start exploring how we could, you know, add most value to the relief effort. Not only participate, but add most value. And, uh, and so we were thinking, you know, if you want to add most value, we should leverage our core capabilities, right? The, the analytical toolkit that we have, our consulting approach to things. And at the same time, obviously, try to address, you know, a clear gap, a clear uh, challenge that, 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 that we were facing. Um, so we, we were looking back at previous experiences and, uh, you know, a couple of challenges are typical in such emergency situations. Um, and the first one is around, you know, there is always an absence of a clear view of what are the real needs, which sectors are the most affected, which neighborhoods, which communities need most support, most urgent support. And part of this is due to significant, you know, information gaps, uh, both at the Lebanon level, but also in the not-for-profit sector. So many local and international organizations jumped on on this opportunity to uh, uh, support, mobilize uh, funds, and they were successful in doing so. But they were already in discussions and were very unclear about what are the key sectors uh, that they need to support, what are the areas where uh, most needs uh, were present, and where do we start? Who do we give the money to? How do we channel it to Lebanon and so on? So that was one of the first key challenges, right? An absence of a clear view on 
what are the needs uh, on the ground. The second challenge I would say is, is typical as well is a siloed approach to the response. So the, there's a lack of a coordinated approach to fundraising, to allocation of funds to the sectors, to the disbursement of funds to NGOs, uh, and even in the delivery of interventions on the ground, right? Uh, this lack of coordination leads to a lot of duplication of efforts, to inefficiencies, to wastage. So, so we thought that the best way to employ our skills as consultants was to develop this you know, consolidated, comprehensive view of what are the key needs, what are the key gaps across uh, sectors, and to make this analysis available to everyone, obviously, with a particular focus on, you know, as we said, the donor community on one hand that needs guidance on where to you know, invest if you want the money, and to the NGOs on the other hand, so that they can think of where to focus uh, their capabilities, where to deploy their effort, how to scale up, and so on. If we can actually take a step back and answer that core question that you started with, which is what are the most urgent needs in Beirut right now? And how did you and your team assess that need? So let me step back maybe and you know, explain the methodology that we followed. Uh, first off, this is not the report. This is a status update. We felt there was so much demand you know, for something consolidated, even if incomplete or partial, right? And this is why we wanted to produce as quickly as possible a first status update to inform the community that we're doing something, we're onto something, but also share whatever we could collect as data points and you know, uh, consolidated efforts on the ground. So, so the methodology uh, we used, uh, as, as Mustafa described at the beginning, was along six, six core sectors. So we wanted to assess impact on the six focus sectors, housing, food security, healthcare, education, culture, and finally businesses. And for each of them, we adopted a sector-specific approach. So when collecting, analyzing data so that we assess the impact, uh, we started by connecting with sector-specific local and international organizations that were on the ground conducting sectoral assessments. So for example, the World Food Program, we spoke to them for food security. We, we uh, called hospitals for the healthcare part. We called the UNICEF. We called uh, the UNESCO for the cultural heritage part of the story. So we connected with the sector-specific players, um, but for specifically for housing and for businesses, uh, because the, uh, data availability was very, very, very poor, we had to develop our own impact assessment. And the, the, the outcome of, uh, of the study is not yet out. So what you see in the preliminary report are, you know, mainly collection and collation of data points from uh, other reports as well as expert interviews. But what we're doing, the impact assessment we're doing for housing, is through geospatial data analysis, which incorporates blast radii, damages data, field survey responses, some expert interviews as well, and Google Maps data. So Google was helping us as well with, the, with making their maps available. So what we did is we identified how many buildings and households are affected per neighborhood. We also looked at the same data for businesses, so how many businesses and by sector as well. And we looked at what is the extent of the damage. So we tried to assess the extent of the damage based on the geographical location to finally come up with an estimated cost, right, depending on the extent of the damage and for businesses on the type of the business. And the next report, the upcoming report we'll, we'll issue will include the details of, the, of, of, of this analysis. Uh, and as you rightfully said, you know, we, re we relied on a, on a survey by MySay that was, a, you know, they volunteered also to do this survey with us uh, and on Nusana, which is an NGO that is focused on reconstruction efforts. Uh, they covered detailed questionnaires on households, damages, needs. Uh, as Mustafa said, they go into, you know, psychological support needed, healthcare, education, etc. 
Uh, now, to go back to the numbers, if you want to get an idea, uh, this is in the, in the preliminary report already. So from the data available so far, we know that around 10,000 buildings were damaged to a different extent. Uh, and that translates into around 300,000 individuals that have damaged housing and need some kind of support. And if you focus on you know, heritage buildings, around 500 uh, were damaged to a certain extent. Uh, on the cost side, the reports hover around you know, the 5 billion number for housing specifically. So th- if we talk about the port, because as anyone who has seen the footage of, of the blast can understand the scale of what was one of the largest ever non-wartime explosions, the, the port itself, the warehousing, the infrastructure, the you know, utility network, all of that is going to need significant investment. And the port is important. But also around the port, as, as you say, the buildings damaged, the, the homes, the something like 72,000 apartments, almost 10,000 buildings. And there are certain areas immediately around the port that have been devastated. So, I mean, from your, from your point of view, when there's an emotional aspect to this, you said, you know, we want to help. But when you see the cold, hard numbers of what needs to be done. I mean, 17 hospitals damaged, 120 schools damaged. You mentioned the cultural sites, but creative industries affected. I mean, what does that tell you in terms of how long it's going to take to make significant progress on, on rebuilding? The the forecast is pretty bleak, right? So, uh, yes, we've, we've, we've all been very affected uh, emotionally and, uh, you know, individually, uh, even if not physically. Uh, but the, on the positive side, I mean, aid has been pouring in in the last few weeks, um, and there are incredible efforts within the country, but also by the Lebanese diaspora, as well as many right corporate fundraisers, institutional funding that's coming in, support from the international community. Uh, I, I think that, that going forward, the challenge, as you were, you know pointed, uh, is how do you keep allocating the funds optimally, and how do you keep uh, you know, a certain aspect of sustainability to the recovery efforts because this is going to take long. This is not a few weeks effort. There's an emergency response now, but there is a, a, a six months to a one year effort uh, to bring back the communities in place, to rebuild, uh, you know, the, the fabric of these communities, to support micro and small uh, businesses in, in, in coming back to life. Because even pre-explosion, we had a very, very difficult, you know, economic, and social situation, even on the political front without going there. But I mean, uh, you know this, uh, how the situation is. So this is going to take a long time, you know, on top of all the challenges we had pre-explosion. Um, this is going to take a long time and we need, uh, you know, focus, we need patience, we need stamina uh, to keep things, uh, you know, focused on, on rebuilding. And in addition to political, economic turmoil prior to the blast, there was also the global pandemic we were all facing. How do you assess damage in addition to the dynamic of COVID-19, Beirut facing you know, hospitals at maximum capacity, children, you know, remote learning, people working from home? There's so many dynamics in play, but what did you assess COVID-19 in particular having, you know, what role does that have on the impact assessment that you've done so far? So there are two facets of this, uh, this other challenge, right? So the COVID-19 already puts a lot of strain on, on the facilities. Uh, 
But on top of that, post-explosion, there was a significant increase in cases, you know, that was reported post-explosion because people went, you know, uh, on the ground. They were trying to help uh, many cases, you know, of people with, uh, you know, with, with glass debris in their body going to hospitals, seeking uh, medical support. So uh, a lot of exposure. Uh, so that doubled the, the problem. In addition to from the supply side, the number, as you said, the number of hospital damage, the number of beds, uh, extra beds that are needed, primary healthcare centers that are, you know, uh, seriously damaged, as well as containers, medical supplies at the port, and so on. Uh, so that, that's a double, if you want, that's a double impact for COVID-19 because of the increased cases post-explosion, but also because of the need for capacity for uh, human resources and health personnel uh, that has exacerbated the whole problem. If we can talk about the survey portion of your impact assessment, uh, some a thou- thousand, just over a thousand respondents. Um, and what struck me was that uh, 92% of businesses were somehow affected by the blast. I mean, it's almost everyone. Something like 12% say, according to the survey, that the you know 12% of these businesses may never come back. The losses in terms of the revenue have been huge, and for some companies may take several years to to make whole again. Um, and then and then we touched upon the psychological impact. I mean, the being able to survey. Uh, you know, Beirut residents in the aftermath of this is, is is really critical, isn't it, in terms of understanding what they need most right now? Yes, of course. I mean, that, that, this survey, the MySay survey, uh, was developed to to support this, if you want, quick assessment exercise. There are many NGOs uh, that are focused on specific sectors that are conducting in-depth assessments. Uh, be it on the you know on the infrastructure side, on the residential damage side, on the psychological support needed, and so on. And we, uh, this is why we didn't want to create yet another survey that kind of duplicates efforts. And uh, honestly, residents are tired of answering surveys. They people knock on their doors every day asking, "What do you need?" And they're waiting for the for the actual support, and uh, they're sick and tired of of waiting. So. We, what we wanted to have is an online survey that uh, takes a pulse, if you want, of what is needed. Uh, the, the results are, are dramatic. That's expected to a large extent, but the results are pretty bad. On the business side, as you said, you know, nobody has not been affected, uh, whether it's directly or indirectly. Um, and I think businesses you know, is a sector where we want to focus now because uh, they haven't uh, received uh, their fair share of of support or focus so far and we're going to hopefully in our next you know uh, update we're going to uh, uh, focus on that part of the story so fadi you lead uh, strategy and social impact program for the region so you've done sort of pro bono services f- f- for ngos you're helping them i mean more broadly what what other kind of issues or crises have have you been consulting on these past few years so our our social impact practice is obviously a pro bono pro bono uh, practice, which is you know based on volunteering efforts from our colleagues. Uh, so that the way it works is that NGOs come our way and ask for support. We publish uh, you know a, a newsletter with all the opportunities to help in the community, and our consultants you know offer their free time, their weekends uh, to support those NGOs. So. Um, 
uh, I've, I've been coordinating this effort, leading some of the projects, but many of the colleagues have been also delivering this project. And this is because we have a large, you know, Lebanon-based community at Strategy and because of historical reasons. Uh, so there is an attachment to, you know, to the country and uh, in the absence of, you know, proper services and uh, uh, and public, you know, uh, interventions, we, we, we try to help those NGOs that are doing good work. So... Uh, the, the focus has been mostly on education, uh, women empowerment, healthcare projects. So we support NGOs with uh, developing their strategies, developing their fundraising plans, uh, their volunteering strategy, their organization structures, and so on. So your typical consulting, you know, strategy consulting project, uh, we would do it for NGOs, taking into account their specificities of the market, what are the key needs in Lebanon, and so on. But it's purely... Uh, volunteer-based approach. Well, it seems like there's a, there's a vibrant private sector in in Lebanon, in Beirut, that can be a kind of bedrock for for helping to get the city back on its feet. It seems even if the government's a mess, you know, there, there's been, as you said, a financial crisis, all kinds of of issues politically. It does seem that there are there 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 are on the ground. There are some institutions and organizations that that people can can kind of help and support to, to get the work done. The private sector is, I mean, used to be a vibrant sector. We can't say this this today. I think after the economic crisis and the financial collapse, uh, but the individuals, if you will, the individuals, and this this came on, you know, this was on the news in many in, in, in many media outlets around the resilience of the Lebanese. Community and I think where we get this this resilience is also the Lebanese communities outside Lebanon, uh, which which is far larger than the number of Lebanese in Lebanon, uh, right? And I, I'm saying that because these professionals that live abroad or you know travel back and forth from Lebanon to the GCC or to other countries, like myself, um, also feel responsible, right? They feel a, a strong sense of responsibility towards uh, this country. Uh, and that's why you see us mobilizing all the resources we have personally, professionally, through our networks uh, uh, to, to try to help and to support as, as much as we can. Um, so, so many of our, you know, uh, Lebanese friends are, you know, with the big technology players, with very large corporations globally, and they're trying to mobilize whether internal funding through smaller fundraisers or through networks to support with you know, with with human resource uh, and capability building, uh, a lot of you know uh, refreshing and uh, you know positive and encouraging action is happening uh, across the private sector. I'd like to know if this is like anything else you've ever worked on before. Is this working document, this needs assessment that you're doing, kind of on a rolling basis for Beirut? How does this compare to the work that you were doing prior to the explosion? If you look at spe- specifically at social impact work that we've been doing before, uh, it was never at this scale, right? Because the, the the way we operate the social impact practice is through helping specific NGOs. So we're you know we're currently supporting a number of NGOs. Uh, I'll give you a couple examples. One of them is an NGO that tries to empower you know and uh, and uh, help uh, people with disabilities get into the workforce. You know, another NGO is an NGO that's trying to create jobs for Lebanese living in Lebanon through connecting them to the Lebanese diaspora uh, outside where, where the, there might be a good match between, you know, the, the, their capabilities and the needs of, 
the Lebanese diaspora. So there are many initiatives of the sort that we're supporting. We 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 never did uh, as a social impact practice something of this size. You know, in our normal consulting work, we do government strategies, government-wide transformation programs in the GCC and elsewhere. But uh, in Lebanon specifically, we we it's the first time I think we we do something of this size. Fadi Adra from Strategy and thanks so much for being with us. And if you want to see Strategy and's impact assessment report, you can see it on their website. Fadi, thanks so much. Thank you. So Kelsey. Before um, I let you go, uh, you've you've written an interesting story this week about what could be the next area of fierce commercial technological competition, which is low Earth orbit. Uh, What's that all about? Over the course of the last few weeks, it seemed like there had been a bit of a slew of headlines around satellites and low Earth orbit, which is just, if you look to the sky about 200 kilometers above Earth's surface. Experts are now saying that there will be up to 50,000 small satellites orbiting Earth. And the race is heating up between Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, and even here in the UAE, uh, Yasat and the UAE's own space agency is making investments in these small satellites. So I kind of wanted to connect the dots as to what all is going on in LEO these days. So, so what's the purpose of putting all these satellites up um, in, in the LEO? I mean, essentially what's happening is satellites used to be and still are massive and very far away. But because we've made some progress on computing power, you know, 3D printing, the ability to bring objects we've sent to space actually back down to Earth, we can repair satellites and send them back up. And so what this means is if we create these constellations, we can be providing internet access, essentially, to billions more people around the world to connect the 40% of people who actually aren't yet connected to the internet, which represents a huge market opportunity, especially if you're somebody like, you know, Amazon's Jeff Bezos. Well, you can read Kelsey's piece at the national.ae. Kelsey Warner, thanks so much for being with us. Good to be with you. Thank you. Before we finish, here are the other stories you need to know about on the national.ae. U.S. and Chinese negotiators have stressed their commitment to the phase one trade deal, where both sides say they've seen progress. Qantas Airways says it plans to cut up to two and a half thousand jobs by outsourcing its Australian ground handling operations. And Aldar Properties is targeting a 20% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions by 2025. That's it for today. If you have any questions or comments, please email malrawi at thenational.ae. If you've enjoyed the show, do subscribe or leave a review. And all that remains to thank our production team, Arthur Edison and Aisha Khan, and you all for listening. Please join us again next time.